Once again, we welcome you to Moving Forward with Young Voices on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. Hey, we're pleased to welcome uh, Young Voices contributor Gabriella Hoffman back to the show. Gabriella, how are you? Good to visit with you again, Brian. Doing well. I'm excited to talk to you. I see that we have a topic that uh, you and I both have some familiarity with. Maybe a lot of people haven't visited some of the national monuments out west, but um, it's a big deal. And I remember 25 years ago when President Bill Clinton expanded the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, and uh, it was not well received by people in Utah as well as in Arizona. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your acquaintance with these monuments, and let, then let's talk about how expanding those national monuments could actually uh, undermine true conservation efforts. Certainly. While I have not visited this region, I have spoken to people on the ground, and I was probably one of the few writers and reporters when the Trump administration reversed and scaled down these monuments to kind of dig into the details and assess whether or not that decision was truly bad and why local stakeholder input was heard at that point. Now, when you see the Biden administration enlarging those two monuments in question in Utah, back to kind of Obama era levels, there's something that kind of sticks out as maybe concerning and what potentially those designations or enlargement of those designations can do actually to paradoxically undermine public lands access in the region. And I wrote in Desiree News recently about how this executive order to restore them to pre-2016 levels could actually undermine access to those who recreate a lot on national monuments, including sportsmen and women, hunters and anglers. And many are heralding this as a win in kind of preservationist circles. But those in Utah stemming from the Utah delegation to a lot of people in San Juan County have a lot of concerns and felt like their input was not taken into consideration in this executive order. Interesting. Why is this such a battlefield? Just in your opinion, I mean, I've I've lived out west for a long time. I've got my own ideas, but to to someone who who doesn't live out in this region, I'm I'm curious what your perception would be of um, the the back and forth. You know, Trump trimmed back the bear's ears. Uh, Biden has now expanded it. What's uh, what's the deal? Why do we push back and forth like this? I believe it's attributable to the fact that the Antiquities Act of 1906, which is where national monument enlargements derive from, has not been modernized. It's a over 100-year-old law. It doesn't clarify, or the courts or Congress have not clarified whether there are limitations to presidential authority on how much land you can designate as a national monument. There is great debate over Article 2 of the law, which stipulates that only the smallest tracts of land can be designated national monuments. So Congress has yet to clarify that. I think it's in their role to prescribe to them to do so. Also, the Supreme Court under Chief Justice Roberts has said they may weigh on this, on the constitutionality of whether or not to limit presidential authority on this. So I think it's because there hasn't been any correction to this. It hasn't been adjusted to modern day constraints and concerns. And I think that's where this issue is headed and it should be. And I think people listening to the podcast may not be aware that actually presidents do have the authority to shrink. I even read this and I cite heavily 
the Brookings Institution, a 2017 article that says that Trump wasn't alone. Former President Trump wasn't alone in shrinking monuments. There were both Republican and Democratic administrations and presidents that did scale back monuments, but they didn't attract so much controversy, interestingly enough. So it's, it's going to be an issue of weighing how much presidential authority can be awarded to these designations. So that's something I'm very curious to see and I hope is addressed because this law is due to have some modernization. Is it going to invite the exploitation of the environment like like some have said? I've heard this for a lot of years. I have yet to see where where that has really taken place. Many supporters of national monument enlargements, from what I've heard in Utah, have stated that Downsizing them meant that these areas would be despoiled. It would lead to more mining and oil and gas exploration. And what I'd heard from someone I recently spoke to who has studied extensively in this region, he lives there, he goes there. He told me that actually there's not much of oil and gas or even mining opportunities in these regions. So maybe that was a scapegoat argument they made to prevent perhaps any consideration being into this. And also, because of the popularity of these national monuments, too, I think these preservationists are kind of adding insult to injury with this because they haven't been able to meet the demand with staffing to preserve artifacts and landmarks and landscapes. And if you remember that really strange obelisk that was found in Utah I surrounding <laughs> yep. one of these national monuments, I can't recall where it was located, whether it was close to Bears Ears or Grand Staircase Escalante. But because of fanfare and attention brought to the monument and the subsequent enlargement, it's created opportunities for thieves and opportunists to go there because they haven't been able to create the infrastructure to support more traffic. So it's kind of a a bad policy on their design. They haven't considered what more traffic or more visitors can can do to the region. So I think many people who support enlargement are ill prepared to address the demands and they just want to perhaps keep opportunities limited to those who agree with them and keep out recreationists who may not support their vision of conservation, their more preservationist inclinations. So there's a lot to be made of that, but I think they want to keep few people uh, recreating there, especially hunters and anglers. They view hunters and anglers who contribute perhaps the largest share to conservation funding. They want to keep kick them out because they may oppose hunting on public lands, although you don't really see much opposition to that. But there is a contingent, kind of a growing contingent saying that we have to move away conservation funding from sportsmen and women to bikers, hikers, campers, things of that sort. That's a conversation for another podcast. But I think it's a misunderstanding of what conservation is, which is the wise use of natural resources. It doesn't mean you explore, despoil, uh, and explore for oil and gas. It also could mean you can hunt, you can camp, you can visit. Uh, conservation has multiple meanings. It's not just uh, taking a natural resources and and applying like an economic uh, activity towards it. It also could be just accessing it. So we, we're going to be seeing this debate over conservation versus preservation. A lot of preservation is trying to, I guess, misinterpret what conservation is and, and preservation, which is no use of public lands or, or public access, which could start to take fold and which is taking fold and kind of being reintroduced in the national dialogue, what we see from the Biden administration. So there's a lot to be said of national monuments. And I think there there will be a lot of debate over this. Like I said, I think hopefully Congress will begin to address this and perhaps limit presidential authority. So you don't see this political football back and forth between angering Utahns and then appeasing out-of-state interests who are not 
in close proximity to what is happening on the ground in Utah. Boy, that's the key too. I I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of people who've lived in the little communities in and around these national monuments. And even though there isn't a great deal of mining or logging or in some cases, even cattle ranching going on, um, it's profound how many of these little communities have withered and died on the vine without, you know, when it's gone to just strictly, well, maybe we can serve the tourists who are coming through. Um, they, they keenly feel the loss of those industries. And yet, uh, you know, these are decisions being made by people thousands of miles away that may not have a real good feel for the lay of the land. Absolutely. And I think what you can sense from Utahans is that you have these this federal presence. They're coming in. They're saying that they want to hear their interests and their concerns, but they're appeasing very powerful special interests like the Sierra Club, the Natural Resource Defense Council and others who have been pushing for these national monument enlargements, enlargements without consideration to local economies without other industries, because tourism can't simply sustain the region from what is to be understood about this issue. There should be multiple uses on public lands. And some people are worried that if more public lands become designated as national monuments, they can eventually make way to become national parks and national parks. While they're beautiful and I love them and I defend them and I think they're appropriate for safeguarding sacred spaces, a national park designation could be an ultimate fate for some of these public lands, making it harder for people to live and work off the land, which is prescribed under multiple use management of public lands which is a little bit different from some national monument designations. But that's a concern that people have if we were to move away from multiple use management. Okay. Again, we are talking with uh, Gabriella Hoffman, and she is a Young Voices contributor. You also host a podcast. Tell us about that real quick. Certainly. The District of Conservation podcast is kind of my view into conservation, energy, and environmental issues. I largely talk about national monuments. I try to offer a true conservationist and perhaps politically conservative libertarian view on these issues, which are extremely critically important. I partake in hunting and fishing, and I interview a lot of people who work on the ground out West and all over the country who feel like they're not being heard, who feel like the media misrepresent their lifestyle and their views. So I try to shine a light on these issues, let them speak when they feel that they can't properly speak or have their perspectives accurately told and give a platform to those who involve themselves in these issues more and i've been doing it for three years it's a very fun little project we've seen some growth and it's hard to kind of compete now with a lot of people in the podcasting space but we're trying to make waves and and offer perspectives that are not being told or, or discussed 